as usual, I, I, I go up there and, and again, when I say study, all I'm doing is receiving. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Because uh, I don't think you can do one without the other. I, matter of fact, I know you can't. So I came here, and for the longest time, I kept praying. Well, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. After all the word, you know, like, I'm like, I come down, and I don't have anything. So I just pray. Not worried, but I just pray. I'm like, okay, Father, what do you have? So now I'm going to share what I believe he has for us. Because he loves us, each one of us, so deeply. And his love, you and I can't go anywhere in time on this earth, anywhere in anything that we do. It doesn't matter. His love goes with us. Does. And what the enemy tries to do is because he can't change our position. And he has positioned us, when we think about these things, he has positioned us, placed us, set us in the love of his son. <laughs> I mean, he, he loved his son because he was spotless. And because of him, he, God, when we receive Christ, he has placed us in that same love. <laughs> And the enemy, because of this now, and because, you know, we shared uh, a little bit with the men about prayer. And that's what, you know, that, that was kind of on my heart this morning about, about prayer. And I said, do you want me to share about prayer this morning? You know, and I kept going, okay, you know, I'm available. Help. <laughs> Help. I don't know my need. I certainly don't know what anyone else needs. I absolutely don't. And so what we shared on prayer in Ephesians the 6th chapter, verses 10 to 18, but he wants to bring that truth to us in a practical way. Because we have to remember, we are set in the sun of his love. Nothing can, act, nothing can move that. That's positional truth. That is literally who we are. We, in a proper image, are absolutely loved and adored by God. It's true. Do you and I think the enemy wants us to, to think exactly like God with that? That he doesn't have a single thing against us? Well, what the enemy tries to do constantly, constantly, and I'm going to read some Psalms this morning, is he wants to constantly overwhelm us. That's what he constantly tries to do. And he can do that, and God knows where we are, right? His love goes with us. But he, he, he looks, and there's not one single circumstance or situation that you and I are in that he, with his love, does not go with us. And even when we're not aware of it, okay, even when we're not, his love will not allow anything to touch us that doesn't go through his love first because we're in a conflict we were born in this conflict and and we said recently that the measure of being set in his love in his son like no other people group the church that is that becomes the height of the conflict that's against us okay it can't come against our position this is what makes it so incredible it can't come against our position because we have been placed in the Son of His love. That speaks of a supernatural, impenetrable relationship that nothing can touch. That's why the Bible teaches us that even our sin, sin and our failure does not touch that relationship that we have with God. It's not based upon anything about us, our sins or failures. It's based upon His love that's been fulfilled. And he just wants to fill us up with his love. But we're in a conflict. And he is proving and teaching angels. He's teaching us, but he's teaching angels. Telling it constantly. Good and bad. Evil and good angels that never fell. He's teaching them things through you and I. 
Because the greatest way that he can teach any of his creation, and, and the angels, again, they were created as a host, they were created all at once, and then humans, they were created as a race, they procreate, angels don't. That's why in Matthew 22, 30, where I was the angel, we don't marry, marriage, you know, the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up and say, you know, well, whose who's wife and whose husband? No, they're as the angels of heaven. We're all one in him. We're all married to him. They're going to try and trip him up. But there's a conflict that's going on. And, and I'll just read this, and then I just want, to, I just want us, us to see, and I'll see with you as God reveals it to us this morning, these beautiful realities. Um, and every single thing that we're passing through, it's not apart from his love. And this is where it says in 1 Peter, verse 12, it says, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves. In other words, all this depth of the intimacy of his love and the depth of it, they, they didn't know it like you and I do, and that, that God would like us and, and desire us, I should say, to know it like he knows us in the, in the son of his love. But not unto themselves, but unto us, that's us. They did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them. Now, if we see that, when you read 1 Peter 1, verse 12, you and I, when we read it together and when we read it privately, we're to understand 1 Peter 1, verse 12 with Hebrews, the 11th chapter. You can see all those Old Testament saints, all those that were heavenly people, and we're heavenly people. The only difference is we are a church people, which means we are Christ's body, flesh, and bone. We're his very bride. And those things weren't revealed to them. But we do learn from everything that they did go through. And they reported things. And even the report that they reported, the message, the preaching, they didn't understand it fully in the sense that we can. It's it. When you think about it, when we think about it, that he's given us so much with the scriptures, us. It has to be grace. I'm, what, what else would it be? Why else would we be born in this time, in this dispensation of grace, this church age that we're in? But they're reported unto them, now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Where it says the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, that's teaching us that that's the promise that Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Okay, And some of them did become part of that church. They were being taught kingdom truth. What was going to happen in the millennial reign years down the road <laughs> hadn't happened yet. But he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. The first comforter that they had, those disciples, that was Christ. Everywhere they went with him, and when they drew near to him, they could be comforted. And he said, but I'm going to give you another comforter. Now, we have two comforters. We have one in heaven. That's Jesus. Okay? We have that high priest in, in, in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We have this high priest. And when the enemy comes in against you and I through our circumstances, our situations, the things that we go through, the things that we're going through in our physical bodies, uh, the jobs, all those things, I mean, what we're waiting for, God, they can begin and the enemy wants to use them to, to overwhelm us. And that was the thought that I had that God gave me this morning. I want you to I want to speak to you and I want to speak to those that I love about being overwhelmed and the place that we have. <coughs> Excuse me. But, but here again, we do have this high priest. We do have him. He knows what it's like. 
to go through things. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood, uh, to be, you know, to be rejected, to be hated, to to be hated, and to go through circumstances. I mean, he was in he was in the little boat in Matthew the fourteenth chapter and Luke the eighth chapter, and he was asleep. He was tired. He knows what it's like to be tired. Yet without sin, but he knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like, not in the negative sense whatsoever, but to be just overwhelmed with, I mean, walking everywhere, healing this energy that's this supernatural power and energy coming out of him. In Luke 8, 46, that woman, just she just in a crowd. You can be in a crowd. And there can be so much going on. But all it says is she reached up and touched the tassel of his garment and virtue went out. I mean, he's there, he's there for you and I to touch. And that'll take away being overwhelmed. Well, every single time. And, uh, and that's why it says, for we have not a high priest in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We have this great high priest who's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And it's not like we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Those things that the enemy can use to overwhelm us. But what he means, the enemy means for evil, in Genesis 50 verse 20, God means for what? Good. Good there is agathos. That's why in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good. The good there. The is the article. And it's saying, see, ho, the good. Agathos, God's divine good. He, his goodness is invested in you and I. Can't fail. That's why all things do work together for the good. Even when the enemy tries to overwhelm us, even by things by sight that we look at and we're weak and frail, sometimes we wake up in the morning and we don't even know how we're going to get out of bed. Never mind to uh, get into all these responsibilities and face all these things that we have to face. But him knowing that, we have a high priest who, who has passed into the heavens. And there, he knows. He can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He was. He, he was. So that we can f- run immediately. Run. Run. And we're going to look at this word. He's our constant and continual refuge. And that means we have a place of rest. In the midst of the, can you imagine, the whole atmosphere trying to come against us and overwhelm us. And they see, they see us just reach out. And sometimes we just groan in Romans 8, 26. We can't even articulate it. And we just groan. And that touches him. And immediately he comes in and the enemy has to watch that. It's amazing because he's teaching these evil angels and, these, and the good ones too, things that they have no idea about their creator through everything that you and I go through. And that, if it has to do with God's divine good and if he's accomplished everything about us, then is it good for us? It is. And it's good for us to believe God and trust him in Proverbs 3, 5, to trust him with all our heart and not lean to our own understanding. Because in some ways, if it's our understanding, it can be that we're already overwhelmed or that it will lead to that. And that's what the enemy tries to do because he can't touch our position, can he? He goes after the experience. He wants to overwhelm us and to stop us short. Of what? A proper experience and a proper image and a proper intimate love exchange. And so, again, in 1 Peter 1.12, it says, the Holy Spirit sent down. So we have that first comforter in John 14, verse 16. That's when he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. Another. He said, because remember, in 1416, before that, he said, in John 14, 1 through 3, that he, had, he was going to go away. And he had to go away because he finished the work. He never would have been able to go there as a man if he hadn't. Think about that. He finished every single thing about you and I personally. It wasn't just this blanket thing. <laughs> the church is made up of individuals. You are an individual that God did all this for. 
He did through Christ. And he said, I'm going right now to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go. So he said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your mind get troubled. Don't, let it, don't get overwhelmed to the point where you lose sight of me. We, we do get overwhelmed. But run to the place of refuge. You know, all through, all through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there were people, there were strangers that didn't understand certain things about God that God was doing through the nation of Israel, but they had a, a, that were called cities of refuge, and you could go there. And that's a place of rest from the enemy. And so we can run to the throne of grace, it says, throne of mercy to find, throne of grace to find mercy right in the nick of time in Hebrews uh, 4, 14, 15, and 16. And so this is what he would like, like to do. He sent down the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to give you another comforter. It's going to be in John 14, 17. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. He's dwelling with you now because he's in me. But when I go to the cross, I die. I send down the Holy Spirit, and I begin to form my church. That's you and I. That's you and I. In all the scriptures, that's where we are. He sent him down. He's with you, but he will be in you, he said. And that word in you, that means in everything that we go through. That's why it says in Romans 8, 26, he, he, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And when we can't even articulate, we are so overwhelmed with so many different things. When we're so overwhelmed, and all we can do, we can't even, it's so much, we can't even articulate, we just groan. The Holy Spirit takes that groan far more in a way that we could never understand, but he does. And he brings it to him who does, who went through all that for you and I individually. And he starts interceding for us. Interceding for us. <clears throat> and But while this whole thing is going on with us, here we are in this conflict, right? We were born into this conflict. First, we were born in sin, in, in Psalm 51, verses 4 and 5. We were conceived and shaped in iniquity. Think about that. I read that this morning. I was, oh, my God. Hmm, let me see. I was shapen in iniquity, it says in Psalm 51, verse 5. Here I am being formed in mummy's womb, in the natural. And what's being formed in me? Natural will. That's iniquity. Iniquity is the provision for me to reign in my will apart from God, apart from Christ. So here I am being shaped In iniquity that was first found in, in Lucifer, who fell and became Satan in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. He was perfect in all his ways. To what? His unsubmitted will became, thought he could submit to himself. It is so interesting. And then it says, and in sin, she conceived me. That's nature. <laughs> That's nature. But, what, but we've been what? We've been what? We've been born again. Right? We have a new nature. And that new nature that we have in us, when we function in that, nothing can overwhelm it. Nothing can, can be accomplished against it. Not a single thing. And so these are the things that the angels in 1 Peter 1.12, they, they deeply desire. I mean, they, they want to know they want to know. The others don't, but it's still being proved to them. It's still being proved to them. Like it or not, this is being proved. Watch what I'm doing to my people. You want to see my goodness? You want to see who I am? You're going to see it. I don't want to. Too bad. Right in the face. That's Psalm 23. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And our enemies are spiritual in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. They're never flesh and blood or blood and flesh. Never, never. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4. So the angels have this deep desire to know their creator in a way that they just can't. 
know his goodness being revealed in you and I. They see us weak and, and frail, but oh my God, they see his power literally coming in and, and protecting and taking care of them. And um, that's why in Isaiah 54 and verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. It's not going to. It's not. And every tongue that rises against you, he'll contemn. He'll condemn it and put it away. Every single tongue, the lies, the projections, the overwhelming. God has forsaken me. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Like we can do anything anyway. And, and all of that comes. And Isaiah 59, verse 19. Not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, flooding us to overwhelm our experience of intimacy with him through the details of life, the circumstances, the situations, what's going on on the outside, what's going on on the inside, even with our physical bodies. It can just, it can just so overwhelm so many things that come against us, but God for us, Romans 8, 31, who can be against us? And he's working it out and teaching, course you and I, these truths. And, he, and he's showing the world, those people that haven't been born again, those, those people that go by sight, and they look, and they say, well, it doesn't seem like they're any different than us, but they have this power in them. And it's such a testimony and a witness of the goodness of God. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, all things are for our sakes. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 18, all things are of God for us in Christ, obviously. And that's why all things work together for the good to them that love God. Do you know what that means? That simply means that I am not going to refuse his love for me. I don't care what the circumstances, the situation is. I don't care what's going on in my body. I, all the lies and the projections and all these things coming against me, I'm going to receive his love. And when I do, guess what I experience? All things work together for God's divine good that he's invested in me through Christ. He's invested himself in us. And boy, we are on, we're passing through a time of suffering. And a lot of times that can overwhelm us. That's right. Now, when we're overwhelmed, when, there's two places we can hide as a place of refuge. <laughs> in Christ or in sin. You know the enemy wants that for us. I know that's what he wants for, for me. Yeah. We can't quit on opposition, but you think he wants us to quit in the experience of growing in grace and who we are in Christ? and being a testimony filled up with the goodness of God. <laughs> now, of course, of course the angels desire to look in in 1 Peter 1.12. Why? Why is that? Because in 1 Corinthians 6, 1-3, you and I are going to rule and reign over angels. He reversed the whole creative order. In Hebrews 2.9, he didn't take on the nature of angels. He took on your nature and mine in himself in a new nature. That's what we have right now. We have that. And that's why we can, he can always, he always says, draw near to me, 2.18. He's able to succor and nurture those that draw near to him. He knows what it's like. He knows as God, but in humanity, what it's like. Jesus he wasn't never overwhelmed with sin, not one single time. He didn't have a sin nature. But he was overwhelmed with being tired. He was. Cried tears. He did. Hebrews 5, 6, 7, and 8. I mean, he cried tears. He understands even the language of tears. We've said before that each and every tear for whatever it is, anger, love, joy, hurt, those are made up of a different chemical makeup. Every one of them. Who do you suppose designed those? And who knows them better than, than he, Christ, who put on it, humanity? You know, in that sense, honestly, he put us on himself. Dead. Because he dealt with every single thing about us. Everything that the enemy seeks to overwhelm us with by sight. 
by sight. Yeah. And by sight, again, he led the Israelites. Oh, jeez. Well, it was sure great to get here. It was No, I'm saying it was sure great to get out of Egypt. Now I'm in the wilderness. <laughs> They're singing a song in Exodus 15. <laughs> and then later on in that chapter, Marion and all the women sing. The men are singing in 15. And, and then the women are singing. And then they get into the desert in the 16th chapter. They start what? They get overwhelmed by sight and they start murmuring. And then guess what he did? He led them to the Red Sea. You didn't think that could overwhelm them? Well, let's see how we can get out. Look to the left. Oh, mountain range. Oh, my God. Oh, look to the right. Mountain range. <sighs> look back. There's the enemy. Hot on our tails. What does he do? The whole night they're resting. And who knows? Maybe they were overwhelmed. That Their sleep was troubled. But the whole night he was gently moving back. Gently just moving back the impossibility. And they walked through and it says dry ground. They didn't even, get, their feet didn't even get wet. <laughs> that speaks of a great deliverance. Constantly teaching. Constantly teaching. So then it says in, in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Wherefore, because of all this, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be fervent. Be intensely involved with how God thinks. That's what that means. Be sober. Be literally fervent. Be consumed with his thoughts. That consumes, in Ephesians 6, 16, all those fiery darts of the evil one, those fiery missiles of hell that want to consume you and overwhelm you and overwhelm me. And, and be sober, be fervent, intensely involved with how God thinks because he knows how to think about you and I through Christ, doesn't he? He put on humanity. And hope to the end. Hope. Hope. Perfectly, completely to the end for the grace. He's going to give you grace. So in the meantime, be patient and be content with him while he works out his plan. Do you remember the prayer of Daniel? In Daniel, the 10th chapter, you read those first 13, 14 verses, you read them. Daniel prayed to God. He's looking at things by sight. It could start to overwhelm him. Immediately he prays. But it took God, what? Three weeks to answer him. And the angel was teaching him. There was warfare going on. There's conflict. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. There's conflict going on. And everything about us is heavenly. And our enemies are heavenly. They're in the heavens coming against us to overwhelm us. And he, but it said it took three weeks, 21 days, for Michael to fight those different princes, those ruling angels with their armies in specific areas. He comes at us, the enemy, in specific areas. See? And, and obedience is just simply returning his love. But, I, but that's the place where he leads me to receive that love in Romans 8, 28. So he said, Whereunto gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you. He's bringing us to places to manifest his grace towards us that has to do with his goodness that reveals his love. And it's we, you and I are to be his little witnesses to a whole angelic realm. That's, what it's, that's literally what Ephesians 6, 10, 18 is teaching us and showing us. And which is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And those revelations, that's truth. That doesn't change. But there's specific truth in the specific circumstance, a situation where you and I, and he takes that revelation that doesn't change and makes it a rhema, a personally spoken word to you. Right in the midst of your circumstance, your details. Right in the midst of a weak physical body, things going on. Things going on in the mind. All these different things. And when, when we do receive that, look at what it says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance. 
It, that's why we need to be so patient. We need to be patient, all of us. I need to be patient. We need to be patient and allow God to love us and work in his love while you and I be, are patient. And while we wait for those things that we deeply desire, could he do any better than to give us his son to wait with us? Is he enough? I mean, is, is Christ enough? Is he enough for us to trust him? And he is. And we can trust him with our whole heart. And then we don't lean to our own understanding, which obviously, if we're not overwhelmed already, our own understanding by sight, it's going to lead us to that and to failure and to ruin in an experience. But that's not the truth of our position. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lust, because if we, we get overwhelmed, we don't have a place to go, where do we go? Right back to those old lust patterns because we try to use them as a means to escape because we just can't handle things. That's right, but who has and who will? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For you and I, it's just a shadow and we're passing through. I will fear what? No evil. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. He may be trying to overwhelm me with sight and with these evil thoughts and projections and trying and say to give me a way out, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust his love for me. And even though I don't see him, in 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen sight, you love. You love him. Yeah, you have this exchange of love. And Verse 15, but as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of your lifestyle. And so as we begin to wrap this up this morning, these were some of the psalms that, that came to my, to my mind uh, this morning that God brought to me. And, and, and we can look back, right? Remember we said those things in 1 Peter 1.12. They reported the truth of these things. They experienced him in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in the Old Covenant Saints, of him coming through. But not in the intimacy that you and I have. That's what 1 Peter 1.12 is teaching us. That not only for them, right, but for the angels. Because we're in a conflict and our enemy is angelic. Right? Psalm 59, verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. You know, again, David's enemies, they were all fit. They were flesh and blood. Joshua's enemies, they were flesh and blood. And, and especially those enemies reared their head far more when they got into the promised land. Do you ever notice that? Yeah. You know, sometimes when, we are, when we're growing in grace, there's going to be suffering in 2 Timothy 2.12. If we suffer with him, even right now, we'll reign with him. But there's a suffering... That, that is, is, is a call for us to continue to go forward. Then the word, the intimacy, the, word, the very word of God itself, its very intimacy, his very intimacy is increased. But so, is, so are the trials. Right? And the temptation the enemy wants to overwhelm us with is to always go back mentally. I'm talking mentally. And the only place we can go back to is what? That place of helplessness and hopelessness, because you know what lust does. It's, it, all those lust patterns that we used to function in is a means of escape because we just couldn't handle certain things. They're insatiable. You know, they just don't change. Two things don't change. The flesh in us in Romans 8, verse 9, and who we're not, and who we are in Christ. Deliver me. So all their enemies... All their enemies were under the, under the prince and power of the air, but they were physical enemies. And God will deal with Israel's physical enemies. And we will see that in Revelations, the 19th chapter, because we'll be coming back with him from a position in the heavens for him to deal with his earthly people like he said he would, even though his earthly people in John 1.11 rejected him. But boy, it says every eye in Revelations 1.7. And we're coming back with him. Oh yeah, he's with us now. He's going to bring us to himself and then we're going to come back with him and every eye will see him. And it says, and they which also pierced him, and that's the nation of Israel, 
they gave him over to the Roman government to crucify him. And then it says, and all the kindreds and nations of the earth will wail because of him. Their wailing is not even repentance. Their wailing is, he's ruined all our plans. He's real. <laughs> the hatred doesn't change. Oh, what an enemy we have. He so hates Christ in us. He so hates, because he can't divide the two positionally. That's why sin can't. But he comes after our experience and tries to overwhelm us with these lies. Psalm 59, verse 2, deliver me from the workers of iniquity. Do you see Satan in his whole angelic realm? You know, when you read Revelations 12, verse 4, his tail, the dragon, in type is Satan. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, the innumerable. I mean, you can't, we can't number the angels. We can't number the stars. The Bible makes it crystal clear in the Psalms. When you get into the 140s, 143 to all the way to the 50, you'll see you can't number the stars any more than we can number the, the sand of the whole earth, each little grain. We can't. And you can't number it. Yet his tail do a third of the stars of heaven, those angels. And we can see that, again, fulfilled in the type of the king of Tyre, or Tyre, as some would say, in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. But you know that's far more than a man that's being talking about. It's being talked about. It's about our enemy, right? Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. Save me from bloody men. Look at what it says. For they lie in wait for my soul. Oh, he can't wait. Ephesians 4, verse 27. That's why we're to deal with anger properly. Listen, that's another thing that God had in my heart uh, this morning. We need to honestly, we're going we're gonna to fail each other through weakness and just through sin. But when we do, we just need to forgive each other instantly and let love flow instantly. See, the one that forgives has the flow of love in them. They're not holding themselves prisoner. And by, not, by you and I not forgiving one another and holding grudges and things against each other, we hold ourselves prisoner. <laughs> and we keep, and he's in us. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, they lie in wait for my soul. That's why, again, in Ephesians 4, 26, be ye angry. Yeah, we're to be angry. And what? Sin not. That means no flesh involved. No flesh is involved in godly anger. And what does godly anger have to do with? And where does it start? Sin in me, period. <laughs> I hate it because it's not who I am. The hating is not based on, that's who I am. No, the hating is I did it, but it's not who I am because he dealt with it. In Romans 7, 17 and 20. So they, they wait. So Ephesians 4, verse 26 be angry and sin not. Verse 20. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. <whistles> deal with things. Even if you can't deal, and you and I can't deal with the other person, deal with it in your heart with God. Then go to them. Because that's what it's saying. Because if not, it says in Ephesians 4, verse 27, give no place, T-O-P-O-S, topos, give no place for the devil. He just needs a little thing. Can you pick? We have all these circumstances, situations, and God's going with us. He's in us and he's with us. He went before us. He's waiting in Isaiah 30, verse 18. And he's in us and he's with us uh, this whole way. And here's the enemy lying in wait. The mighty are gathered, what? Against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O oh Lord. They hate you and I in Christ. It's the complete hate for, for who you and I in Christ, in Christ. But you know what? Look, by the time you get to um, Psalm 59, verse 8, but you, O Lord, will laugh at them. Why? God for us in Romans 8, 31. Who can be against us? Psalm 56, verse 9, when my enemies come against me, what do I do? I will cry unto the Lord. I'll cry unto him. For this I know, God is for me. That's what, that's what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was referring to in Romans 8, verse 31. Well, they run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. 
See, but he laughs at them in verse 8. You will have all the heathen, those under the influence of the atmosphere, in division and constant, constant confusion. But for you and I, for you and I in Christ, it's, it's Psalm 59, 16. But aside from all of this, look at verse 15. Let them wander up and down for meat. Everything about me is just my details? No. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. Oh, we get overwhelmed and oh my God, then we start living in a grudge against God who's for us and in us and with us. Right? And, and grudge if they be not satisfied. But separated from all that, I will sing of your power. Who's the power? It's Christ. We are kept by the power of God unto salvation. Constant deliverance, 1 Peter 1.5. Christ, the power of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24 and the wisdom of God. He gives us power in wisdom and supernatural ability to understand and see right through all the circumstances and situations and to see right through that evil army that comes against us that's invisible that never sleeps, that never stops scheming, that's always working to come against us. And His grace is always working for us. (laughs) For us. But I will sing of your power. Yea, I will sing aloud of your mercy. Yeah, I'm going through it. It's tough. It's crazy. And sometimes in in 2 Corinthians 7, verse, verse 5, there's fears within and fightings without. That's why we, that's why God sent Titus to comfort Paul. That's what we do. We comfort one another. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one. Threefold cord is not easily broken. If one's going through it, the other lifts them up. And that's, that's what we can do as we begin to wrap this up this morning. I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense, and look what it says, my refuge, the place, my refuge in the day of my trouble. You've given me a place of refuge in the day of my trouble. The trouble is, could be the flesh. It can be the atmosphere coming against us. But God's teaching, 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 and you and I, you and I in Christ, in Christ in us as vessels of his testimony against a whole angelic conflict so again, Hebrews, in the Hebrew, <clears throat> in, in Psalm 59, verse 16 says, But I will sing over your strength, and I will shout for joy at the morning, the morning of your steadfast love, because you are a refuge to me and a stronghold in the day of adversity to me. Yes, Lord, unto you, in verse 17, O my strength will I sing, for God is my defense. Oh, yes, he is. He's not against me. He's for me. My circumstances and situations are not my guide. He is my guide in the midst of my circumstances and situations. And I will not allow the lie of the enemy to use natural sight to interpret my circumstances and situations to be the lie that God is against me when he's for me. And he's leading me right through. Read Psalm 23. Unto you, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. Know what he's doing? It says here in in the Hebrew in verse 17, My strength to you, let me sing praises. Because God is my stronghold, the God of my steadfast, immovable love. He's teaching us to sing. You can see that. He's given us, in Job 35, verse 10, he's giving us songs in the night. The night of his physical absence, but yet he's with us, with the tremendous power. He's giving us these songs in Psalm 77, verse 6, and all through you're going to see these psalms. He's teaching us to sing. He's getting us prepared to be a part of that choir that we see in Revelations 5, 9 through 12. Those all around the Lamb singing their own personal song of what he meant to them and how he brought them through so much. And they're saying, you're worthy. It's worth the circumstances and situations that we're going through. The pain, the suffering, it's worth it. Because 
if we suffer with him, even right now in, in 2 Timothy 2.12, we'll reign with him. And he's filling up that choir that can sing, you and I, like no angel can. They join in. <laughs> Eventually, they join in. <laughs> but they can't sing like you and I can. They can learn by it, those songs. And that's what he's preparing us for uh, this morning. And he's given us so much. I'll just read a couple more and we'll stop. This is, this is the, some of the first verses that he gave me this morning. In Psalm 61, uh, verse 1, Hear my cry, O God. Oh, but you didn't answer me. Oh, but I look at sight and it looks like you've abandoned me. What am I going to do now? My circumstances and situations are overwhelming me. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayers. From the end of the earth will I cry unto you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust. Notice that. I will trust, I'll trust in the covert, the protection of your wings, your very presence that never leaves us. For you, God, have heard my vows, and all those vows were the vows that were accomplished by Christ, by the way. You have given me the heritage of them that reverence your name, Father. You have done all of that, and you're so faithful to us. And that's why it leads. Psalm 61 goes right into Psalm 62. Truly, truly, without a doubt, without any doubt, only my soul waits and trusts upon you, Lord. For from you comes my deliverance. He, is, he only is my rock and my, my deliverer. He is my defense. He is my high place. He's above every circumstance and situation every negative thing, every lie, every projection. And I, as a result, will not be greatly moved. And the only thing that he will remove in us, in Hebrews 12, 24 to 29, is those things that can be moved in our experience based upon our position so that what we have can't be moved. And that's who he is in us and who we are in him and the perfection of a completed image and a beautiful place of refuge. And, uh, and so I won't be moved. So how long will you imagine mischief against me, against a man, the enemy, the projections, the lies? You will be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall will you be, and as a tottering fence, soon you're going down. Oh, yes, enemy, you're going down really soon. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency, who he truly is in Christ, who she truly is in Christ. They want to cast them down. Can't touch the position, but go after the experience through a lie, through wiles in Ephesians 6.11. They delight in what? Lies. And they want to get us to too. They bless with their mouth, but they curse in their inward parts. Well, here we have it. My soul, Wait. Trust, worship you only upon God, for my expectation is it does come from him. He does not say, trust me, and not fulfill that expectation. Okay, he does. And if it's waiting, if it's waiting, it's because there's, in Daniel the 10th chapter, there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm, and his timing and our times are in his hand in Psalm 31, verse 15. And his timing is as important as his provision. It's just as important. We need to wait. But we have him to wait with. Can we do any better than that? My expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my deliverance. He is my defense. I will not be moved in God, us in Christ, far more than any Old Testament saint. Is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength? And look, my refuge, a place I can run to immediately and find rest with proper thinking and proper thoughts. My refuge is in God. As a result, listen, you and I can trust, worship, obey, and love him at all times. You people, you pour out your hearts before him. That's what 
when I was speaking, God will put it on my heart for men that are initiators. And, and women have a place that men can't occupy and vice versa. They're just as important in their proper place. But men, pour out your hearts before him. Got to pour out our hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. As a result, surely men of low degree are vanity under the prince and power of the air. Men of high degree are a lie. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We cast down in 2 Corinthians 10.5 imaginations and every high thing comes from the enemy. Every high thing that exalts itself against proper thinking about who I am in Christ, the knowledge of God. They're a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than the than vanity. You know when it says that, what vanity is? You know what he's telling us this morning? He's saying, listen, in Romans 8, 18, I want you to reckon up everything. Reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy. They're like vanity compared to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us, on us, and through us. And so we're going to close. But verse 10, trust not in oppression. If Christ is not my expectation, if he's not, I'll be overwhelmed. If I go by circumstances and situations and details of life and what they look like by sight, I will be overwhelmed. And then instead of being impressed with proper thinking, I will be oppressed. We know where that comes from. It's the lie of the enemy. And become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, listen, this is, if riches increase, you know, and these blessings, set not your heart upon them. Don't allow even what God blesses you with to replace him or to be the cause that what he meant to bless you with to replace himself in your experience. God, God, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice I heard this, that what? Power, power, strength belongs unto God. And he's got it for us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. In Hebrews 13, 5, he won't fail us nor forsake us. In Joshua 1, 5, he's with us, he's in us, and he's leading us to himself. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for this reality. In Jesus' name, amen.